To round off yesterday's discussion, the aspect about following people. So Allah Ta'ala has defined Sirat Mustaqim by highlighting which kind of people one should follow. In this regard, we discussed one incident of Urwa bin Zubair and Abbas and the discussion they had. Urwa bin Zubair said to Hazrat Abbas that your fatwa is contradicting the fatwa of Hazrat Abu Bakr and Umar so he got upset a little and he said I am quoting to you what I saw Nabi do and you telling me what Abu Bakr and Umar said so he replied to him and said that Abu Bakr and Umar knew Nabi Kareem better than you so Abbas kept quiet on this now this is a very big lesson in this time and age also there is an ongoing onslaught on the proven and safe processes that have been in place for people's guidance and the system that Allah Ta'ala has set from the beginning for us how to go about finding our direction so now that very foundation is being removed and one of the ways in which this is being removed that the manner in which people have very very comfortably easily and very well followed the path of deen by following one of the four imams of fiqh the four madhabs one of the four madhahib they followed and they easily and comfortably reach their destination they are ongoing efforts to try and make people give up the following of the madhahib give up following an imam of fiqh and as a result obviously if a person is following somebody who is an expert then there is a direction he has but if not so then he becomes his own expert and where that will finish off is obvious we took some examples yesterday this brings us to the subject of what is known as taqlid now taqlid is the matter of following an expert in an in a field and when he has given some verdict some ruling some guidance so a person who is not an expert in the field a person who is an ordinary person in that regard he is a unqualified person in that field so he takes the verdict of the experienced person of the person who is an expert without asking him for the proofs because he himself is not able to analyze those proofs we took the example of engineering yesterday when a person receives that plans from the engineer that this is the detail of how the engineering must be done in this building that you want to construct so he doesn't sit with those plans and start analyzing it and wants to know from the engineer but why in this lab 
that is going to be cast, you have put so much of steel, and in this other slab on this side, there's so much of steel, and why are this, these bars so thick, and those bars so thin? If he decides to start questioning the engineer about all these things, engineer will tell him, you rather find somebody else. You seem to know more than the engineers, so you rather find somebody else. You have no idea about the details of engineering, and you want to question these things. Person goes to a physician, and now there's a complicated medical diagnosis of something very deep, and now the, the physician or the surgeon now has made a decision that this is the diagnosis, and this will be the way in which we are going to treat it. So now he wants to know, but this medication, why the dosage is so much, not so much more? And that medication, why is it only once a day, not twice a day? And then regarding certain procedures, he wants to find out the reasoning behind why this procedure will be adopted and not that procedure. He starts asking too many questions. The doctor will see you find somebody else. What do I explain to you when you have no knowledge about the intricacies of medicine? You have no idea about all the details that go behind making such a decision. So I will give you just an overall view of why we are taking some path in this treatment. But the details of why this dosage and that dosage and why this so many times and that so many times, that you are not going to understand, it makes no difference to you. You follow what you are being told. In every sphere of life, there is taqlid. And taqlid happens from the very inception of a person's life. A child starts growing up, so now as he's growing, so now the learning process starts. The formal learning starts at some point in time, at some age, they're trying to make it earlier and earlier. Now very soon you'll hear that some child was born, so now the parents are ordering the nappies, and side by side they're ordering the syllabus also. Because now this child has to start already going to school. So the children are barely still two and a half, three years old, they sit looking for the place now where the child, which school the child must attend. Formal learning, the actual age of formal learning, what we understand in terms of in indication from the Hadith Sharif. An indication from the Hadith Sharif, that formal learning actually the age is seven years old. أَلِّمُوا سِبْيَانَكُمْ الصَّلَاةِ وَهُمْ أَبْنَاءُ سَبْعِينَ Hadith Sharif says, when your child is seven years old, now start teaching him salah, now formal learning. So, Formal learning, there's nothing more important than salah in a person's life. Nothing can compare to salah. And obviously, for that salah, he's going to have to start learning some Qur'an Sharif as well, because he's going to have to recite in the salah all the aspects that are recited. But the command that was given was at the age of seven. Fine, somebody starts off. It's not that it is a prohibition to start any time earlier than that. In other words, it should not be delayed by seven. By the time the child is seven, that salah sh- the, the knowledge of salah should now start. So that is the latest by which it should start. But we get an indication from there that fine, a year or two before that too, if the child is capable. But formal learning, this is the range. But now it has already now come to two and a half years. Allah knows best when it will be one and a half, and then maybe six months old, and they will be looking for some school for the child. So now, this is all following some system which is alien to the way that we have received in terms of the direction from the sunnah. But in any case, that's a separate issue. The point is that that child now at some stage starts learning formally. So now the first thing that often happens in that formal learning is that the child starts learning alphabets. Whether it is 
whichever language, in terms of formal learning, that is among the first things that will start. So now somebody is teaching the child the alphabets. So they say this is A, and that is B. Or better still now, the child is being told this is Alif, and this is Ba, and this is Ta. So now that child, five years old, six years old, is very smart. Now he wants to start asking questions already. And he wants to know that, but why is this Ba, and that is Ta, and that is Sa? Why didn't we make it the other way around? The one with one dot, why didn't call that Sa? And then this Jim, well, why did the Jim have to have the dot? If the Jim didn't have the dot, but it had maybe something else, a line across. So now when he starts asking all those questions, so now what is that teacher, what is that muallim, that muallima, or that mother, that father that's teaching the child now the alphabets? See, you just learn as you told. What are you going to be able to understand now, that why is this and that? He's already questioning the alphabets. The alphabets are learned purely by taqlid. And now by the taqlid, he learns the alphabets, then he learns how to read, purely by taqlid. So how to read, he didn't learn from any other way. He accepted what was told to him. And then as he carries on in life, there are countless number of things that he accepts purely on the basis of taqlid. Taqlid of who? Taqlid of some expert of some field. All the so-called facts that are filled in books, and the facts about the universe, the sun is so far away, the moon has this diameter, and this happens and that happens. So he says, very well, this is it. But how does he know it is? Did he verify it? He went to count now, that, uh, or measure the diameter of the moon. He just accepted it, that somebody who is an expert in the field, that person has now done the research, and he's presented the research, so he accepts it. So now, there's a countless number of things that purely on the basis of taqlid, following. Following without questioning the proofs. Why? Because the person is an expert of the field and he has reliance and he has confidence in that person's expertise. So he accepts it without question. Now there's a countless things we accept without question in terms of day-to-day -day things of dunya. When it comes to deen, the system is the same that those who are experts in the field, what they have understood in the light of the expertise and they have presented the messiah they have extracted. Now somebody follows that based on his reliance on that person's expertise, based on that person's deep knowledge. And together with that, in the line of deen, that person's very great piety. Now all this coupled together, his expertise in all the sciences of deen, so now he's reached a level of understanding and ijtihad, due to which he's an a person who, whose understanding can be relied on. So now somebody doesn't have that expertise, he takes the Messiah from him, he doesn't ask him ten questions about but why, he wants to know how, what's to be done and how is to be done. And that's sufficient for him. So, when people ask, but why don't you follow the Quran and Sunnah? Now coming back to the same incident of Abdullah bin Abbas, of Abbas So the similar situation now, people say, no, no, you, why are you following Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Malik, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal? You must follow the Quran and Sunnah. So the answer to that is that Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Malik, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, they knew the Quran and Sunnah better than you. 
and better than all the so-called experts that claim to be mujtahids of the time. They had that first generation of scholars whom they learned from. They were people of that era where the expertise was at a very high level and they themselves excelled in the field. This is Allah Ta'ala's nizam, Allah Ta'ala's system that while there were many people of this caliber, many people as we discussed perhaps yesterday or one of the days, Imam Lais bin Saad, Misri Rahimahullah, he was a faqih of a very high caliber. According to some, he was a faqih of a higher caliber than Imam Malik Rahmatullah Now, but it is Allah Ta'ala's nizam and system, some receive some acceptance and maqbooliyat of a different level. So the four imams of fiqh, Allah Ta'ala blessed them with such students and such companions that they uh, they preserved all the masail and the fiqh that was now presented to them and they preserved the knowledge of their teachers, they preserved the mazhab that came to them and as a result they passed it on so that then flourished and people followed that and practiced upon it and it went on from generation to generation and some in their lifetime there were those who learned from them those who followed the fiqh that they presented but it happened that they weren't those kind of people who managed to preserve everything and pass it on so by and large the four madahib the four schools of thought these remain preserved and in detail all the finer details of the madhab are preserved but the others they continued for a century two centuries some lesser and then it that fizzled out so the issue is that these were great experts not only they were experts in their knowledge they were great experts in their ability of ijtihad etc but they were all people of a very high caliber of taqwa very high caliber of piety just regarding the month of Ramadan and how they conducted themselves we have heard probably Imam Shafi Rahmatullah he used to make 61 khatams of the Quran Sharif in the month of Ramadan 61 khatams of Quran Sharif one in the day, one in the night and one was in Tarawih Salah now this is just one very very minute point, minute in the sense that out of the countless number of things that can be presented perhaps by others but just one, one example of what caliber of people they were and Imam Ahmad bin Hammal rahmatullah alayhi, he used to perform 300 rakats of nafil every night 300 rakats of nafil we'll again count now that it takes so long to make one rakat and then two rakats so much so 100 rakats will be that you'll need like about 24 hours in the night alone that's how and then we'll count now if the night alone was 24 hours we'll still won't make it past 150 maybe but there's something called barakat in time as well we've perhaps discussed something previously and these are historical facts it's not something that was fiction something somebody's imagination when there were numerous people that were participating in that Allah Ta'ala makes it possible we perhaps discussed on some occasion the incident of Shah Ismail Shaheed uh, or Shah Abdul Aziz that he one day very casually just mentioned there are some servants of Allah Ta'ala they start reciting the Quran Sharif after Asr Allah Ta'ala makes it possible for them to complete before Maghrib by the time it's Maghrib they complete the Khatam and the recitation of the Quran Sharif so some sensed he was talking about himself this Allah Ta'ala's 
Allah Ta'ala's gift and bounty, Allah Ta'ala grants barakat in that time in such a way. So some persisted on him that this is something you're going to have to do for us. You're going to have to recite the Quran Sharif after Asr, we're going to join you and listen and complete it by Maghrib. We want to be part of this. So eventually one day he, re- he relented and when people got to know this is going to happen and at the banks of the Jamna River, very big crowd of people gathered so that they could perform the Asr Salah in the awal waqt, in the earliest time. They performed the Asr Salah and then he started reciting Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen and this gathering of thousands were there and they opened the Quran Sharif and they following his recitation and he recited and continued reciting and as the sun was setting he was reciting Qul bin Nas and people followed the entire Quran Sharif now somebody will say but this is an impossibility so then we have to say that Karamatul Awliya'i Haqqun which is a part of the Aqidah of the Ahlul Sunnah then we have to say that this must be now rejected this must be now rejected because we can't believe in it so then all the Karamat of the Sahaba Ikram and so on as mentioned earlier today this is not in the in the control of the wali of Allah Ta'ala this is Allah Ta'ala's permission by which it happens when Allah wills Allah Ta'ala wills Allah Ta'ala allows it to take place at the hand of somebody Allah Ta'ala does not will it will never happen so this happens purely by the permission of Allah Ta'ala and with the command of Allah Ta'ala so likewise Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal Rahmatullah this number of rakats he used to perform every night now this, this is just a glimpse into these personalities Imam Abu Hanifa once overheard he overheard somebody saying something and this is another lesson in so many ways he was passing by and now he just overheard one elderly woman is saying to somebody else some other person that do you know who is this person passing by so now other person he overheard now she is saying I don't know who, you, who he is she says this is Nu'man this is in other words Abu Hanifa rahimahullah. and do you know what's special about him the special thing about him is that he performs Fajr Salah with the Wudu of Isha Salah he spends the entire night in Ibadat now whereas at that point in time that was not the formal practice or the normal practice of Imam Abu Hanifa to spend the entire night in Ibadat he would spend some time in Ibadat then rest then wake up in the later part of the night and engage in Ibadat again but now he overheard this. Now where did this elderly lady get the story from? So just like nowadays too, they get many many stories which have no, no sauce. And then they add more sauce into it on top of that to Sarawud. So where the story comes from, Allah knows best. And then people too nowadays we are in the social media era. So these things start off without a sauce. And on top of that how many different sauces on top of it. And then one button and Allah forbid where not these things go. And people take it like fat. So, when he overheard this, he passed and carried on, but then he thought to himself that this is the good opinion people have of me, whereas I am not doing that. This is the good opinion people have of me, that I am making ibadat the entire night, whereas that's not my practice. So does that behove of me, that people have this good opinion, Allah Ta'ala covered my faults, people have this good opinion of me, and now I act contrary to that. I should act according to that then. So ever since he commenced that practice of his, that he would start making ibadat the whole night, he started ibadat after Isha, and made Fajr with the same wudu that he had performed Isha, because the whole night he didn't sleep. And this practice continued, the historians Imam Suyuti rahimahullah has recorded this as well, that for 40 years this remained his practice. 
Now, this, this is just a slight glimpse that these people were not just some research scholars. They were people of a very high level of taqwa, very high level of the inabat to Allah tabarak wa ta'ala and Allah ta'ala's command in the Quran Sharif وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيْهِ وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيْهِ Follow the path of those who have totally inclined themselves to Allah Ta'ala. Their heart and soul is inclined to Allah Ta'ala. Their entire life is focused towards the obedience of Allah Ta'ala. That is Anaba Ilayhi. They are following the commands of Allah Ta'ala very well. They are on the path of the Sunnah and they follow very closely the Mubarak Sunnah of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. These are the people Anaba Ilayhi who have totally turned to Allah Ta'ala. They are the ones worthy of being followed. So now somebody calls himself a research scholar of the time and now something here and there and uh, making his own ijtihad there have been these kind of ijtihads that also took place one person was traveling in the plane and some the food was now being served so now it was there was no halal verification or not, no halal claim on the food as well so he was seated next to some Arab person so he declined that food. Now he sees this person accepted the food and this person now started about to start eating it. So he can see a Muslim. So he asked him, but you know, this food, there's no, no claim also that it's halal, let alone any verification, let alone there's some stamp of it. That stamp too is something to double check nevertheless. But there's nothing on this and there's no claim about it being halal also. So how do you eat it? So this person, mashallah, the so-called mujtahid of the time, so he says now he's quoting. And this is the issue of quotations, that many people can quote, they can quote a lot. But what is the substance in that quotation in terms of where they, what they extracting out of it? What is the substance in their deduction? How close to, their, to the reality is their deduction? Or sometimes it's world apart. What is being said and what they deducting out of it, that's totally different thing. So any case, without any, he immediately quotes an ayat. Mimma rasmullahi alayhi. said, I'm going to read Bismillah on this now. Now that was when it was slaughtered, how it was slaughtered, whether it was just died its own death also, haram meat. And he says, mimma rasmullahi alayhi. Eat that upon which you have taken Allah's name. Now any person, even that child also who has learned little bit, he knows this means at the time of Zabah. But this mujtahid, he went so far in his research and so deep in his research that something was slaughtered long ago, you can read Bismillah now and make it halal. So now this is the so-called ijtihad of the time and the research that happens sometimes and now that is presented for following. But person can quote and a person now, if he's quoting something and the person who's listening doesn't know Arabic and that person is translating upside down to what he will know better. So this is a very dangerous path and those who went down the slope, Allah forbid where they finished off. One person who was very deep in this and he was a very, uh, he was a scholar in his, nevertheless in his own right. In India he became so to say among the forerunners in this, in this ideology that the mazhab should not be followed. Rather a person should now just go directly to the Quran and Sunnah despite the fact that he doesn't have the knowledge. And then 25 years later, 25 years 
of going in a different direction and in that process Allah forbid how many people got influenced by him and went off after 25 years he retracted and he made one statement and he said 25 years experience has now taught me that non-mazhab finally leads to non-deen so 25 years of experience finally taught me this lesson that this is what I was advocating all this while and this is what I led people to believe but now after 25 years my eyes have opened the summary of and the sum total of his words he said it in Urdu but the sum total of his words he said la madhabiyya la madhabiyyat ke la diniyat ka zina hai that this is a stepping stone to giving up deen just that the the names are there the words are there the outer structure seems to be there but inside there's nothing it's everything lost because of now the person doing his own thing like this person now he made it halal by reciting bismillah something was slotted probably three months ago now this is the very dangerous part Allah Ta'ala save us from all these things we follow the very clear path and these personalities who were experts in the field to follow in their guidance in their fiqh that is the safest thing that a person can do and he should remain steadfast on that Allah Ta'ala give us perfect wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah